Welcome to the final chapter of The Book Show this side of summer here on RTE Radio 1. Don't panic, we will be back in the autumn. I'm Rick O'Shea. Uh, this week, just to keep you up to date, finished the brand new David Mitchell book. It's out in July. It's called Utopia Avenue. If you're a fan of David Mitchell, as I am, this does not disappoint. And even though the book is 580-odd pages long, I finished it in, in as much time as I would have a book half the size. Well worth your time. Keep an eye out for it. And I've just started Shoshana Zuboff's uh, book from 2019 on surveillance capitalism. So by the time we get to each other in the autumn, I think one of two things may have happened. Uh, I may have finished it, possibly, because it is almost 800 pages long, and I may also have abandoned all of my digital devices. To begin this week, when an author has a printable PDF of their many books on their website and also cross-referenced under various headings, you know you're dealing with a prodigious output. The numbers can be overwhelming. Fair Warning is the third standalone Jack McAvoy novel from one of the modern masters of crime writing. For Michael Connolly, it's novel number 34, with, I should add, book 35 to follow in November. The TV adaptation of his Harry Bosch character is in its sixth season. Matthew McConaughey has played his Lincoln lawyer, Mickey Haller, and Connolly is said to have shifted anywhere north of about 70 million books. The other perennial character in his writing is his adopted home city, and if you're an ex-crime correspondent with a lifelong love of Raymond Chandler, where else are you going to base yourself for such a successful career other than Los Angeles? Michael Connolly, welcome to the programme. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit uh, about where you are right now. I'm at my home in Los Angeles. Uh, I live in the Hollywood Hills, and more specifically... An area called Studio City. Many decades ago, a lot of the studios were built. So you have Warner Brothers, Universal, CBS. I can see all of them from the back of my house. And back when they were developed, there wasn't much there. There was a lot of uh, orange groves and stuff. But now it's all residential surrounding the studios. Tell me maybe a little bit about what life under lockdown has been like for you in California specifically. I really hate to say it. I know people are having a difficult time with this, but I can't complain because I'm a writer. Um, I think the one place where I have a hiccup or where I haven't, I've had a difficulty is, um, you know, I write books that are very, very contemporary. They reflect on Los Angeles for the most part, um, and they're set in the years that um, the book is published. And so I'm writing a book that's going to come out in November. It's set in this year. And I have no idea, no one has any idea what November is going to be like. The other thing is this book, I started writing it in December, but I set it in April. And it's a Mickey Holler book, The Lincoln Lawyer. It's a um, courtroom thriller. And right now the courts are closed. So that went out the window. So for about a month I was kind of paralyzed. And this was a big thing for me because um, I really believe that if you're going to be a writer, you're going to write every day. You have to write every day. And that's pretty much what I've done for decades. And I would say this month without writing was the longest I've ever gone since I was at the university. And so it was a weird um, kind of surrealistic time period. And like I said earlier, I have a view of some of the city, and that includes a freeway. And that freeway has always been packed. And so I'd walk out not being able to write or not really knowing what to write and, you know, take some air and go out to the back deck and look down at the freeway and it was empty. So it was just it was just a strange time and it took me about a month to get through it and to figure out what to do. And so I backed up my story so it's not set in April. Um, it's more set in January and February so I can 
um, function, the courts were functioning and so forth. And I could reflect a little bit on the start of this um, pandemic, the clues that it was coming. There's, you know, our naivete, if you will. And so I'm pretty happy with how I solved this. And I think it has a reflection on 2020 in my book that will come out in 2020. So that's been, um, I think, a big thing to get through for me. Tell us a little bit about about where you write right now and what's surrounding you as you do. Maybe paint a picture for, the, uh, for us. Is there some sort of routine? If there's any routine, it's that I like to write in the morning. The, the earlier, the better. I like the idea of kind of getting up before the city wakes up and getting my work going and gathering some momentum. Things have changed a little bit because uh, my I have a 23-year-old daughter who's been out on her own, but she um, got furloughed from her job and decided to shelter at home with my wife and I. So she's home, and uh, my house is um, kind of divided between the living area and the working area, and there's like kind of a wing. Uh, that's a little um, of an exaggeration, but there's a section that has my office and a guest room and it can kind of be closed off from the rest of the house, and that's where I do my work. Well, we offered that to my daughter when she wanted to come home and shelter in place. So she's using my office suite as kind of her living area and TV area, and then she has a bedroom there. So that's kind of off limits. We're giving her her space and privacy. And so I've found other places to work within the house, um, like the living room. Uh, we have another guest room where I set up a writing chair and so forth. It has a lot of sunlight. I really like sunlight when I'm writing. And so that's where I'm working. But um, I was a journalist for a number of years, and um, I was often on what was sort of a go team where I would get sent to a story or a hot spot or whatever and uh, be expected to write in cars and on planes and hotel rooms and so forth. And it really has given me a work ethic where um, I don't need too many niceties. I just need my laptop. And so I, I can pretty much write anywhere. And in my house, I have four or five spots that are kind of go-to spots that I write uh, while I am without an office for the time being. Talk to me a little bit about Fair Warning, uh, your your latest novel. It's the third outing for Jack McAvoy in the lead role. You've had, obviously, huge success in the past with detectives and with lawyers, and now journalism is is getting the spotlight. I mean, that's something you've you've done yourself for a living. Was it a, a conscious decision to leave that world in the background for as long as you did? I write sparingly about Jack McAvoy. Um, Jack is very close to me. He thinks like me. He says the things I would say. And that's all well and good, but the writing process is it takes about a year to write a book. And I always face that choice. Who do I want to spend that time with? Someone just like me who says what I would say, does what I would say, or someone different. And to me, that's more interesting, writing about someone different, a detective, a lawyer, or what have you. I was a journalist for 14 years. I did that for a living. That's how I learned to write. That's how I learned a lot of the procedure and all that kind of stuff that's in my books. And that's how I made connections to people who helped me with my books. And so it was an important part of my life. And I think uh, journalism, a free media, is a very important part of society. And what I've seen in the last few years is a uh, divisiveness in society about our media. Um, I saw a photo of somebody on a beach who was defying a lockdown order 
and she was holding a sign that said, the media is the virus. And of course, I've already written Fair Warning by now, but that's really why I wrote Fair Warning, because that's what's going on. And so, you know, I don't really go around making giant political statements in my books, but I wanted to write about this, and, and or I wanted to reflect on this, and what can I do as a thriller writer? And so I just wrote a story about a good journalist, a good journalism story I thought would be, in a way, political. It would be um, showing what what we're in danger of losing if we continue down this path where it's kind of shoot the messenger rather than analyze or look at the message. Finally, just before we finish, is it true that the, the Lincoln lawyer was based on a real lawyer you met who was working out of his own car? Yes, that's a true story. Um, it was a person I met at a um, baseball game, sat next to him during the course of the game. Um, throwing in a little anecdote here, if there's time, when he told me at the baseball game that I'm a, I work out of my car, I must have made some kind of physical reaction, where, which he read that I was thinking, oh, this guy must be a loser if he has to work out of his car. And he explained why. At that time, there were 40 courthouses in L.A. County, uh, 400 miles of freeway. And he said, it's the best way to do the job in this county. It's very tailored to this county, to this city of Los Angeles. Um, Then he goes, I'm actually quite successful. I live in Malibu, and my neighbor is Matthew McConaughey. The weird coincidence was that 10 years later, Matthew McConaughey was playing him in the movie based on the first book. And very typical of L.A., you don't know your neighbors. We have a lot of walls, uh, gated driveways, um, hillside things that makes it hard to walk down the street and so forth. And sometimes you never meet your neighbors unless there's an earthquake and everyone runs out into the street. And so David, the real attorney who inspired Lincoln Lawyer in the first place, had never met his neighbor, Matthew McConaughey, and they finally met at the premiere of the film. So there's a little Hollywood story. Michael Connolly in California, thanks a million for taking the time out to talk to us. Thanks for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. Michael Connolly talking there from his home in Los Angeles. Fair warning is out next week on the Orion imprint. Stephanie Preisner joins me now for this week's news roundup. Uh, I had the pleasure of handing out the awards virtually. Uh, for those who weren't tuned in, remind us of the winners of the KPMG Children's Books Ireland Awards 2020 this week, Stephanie. So I'm now just going to do your job for you again, is it? So Please. the winners are the Book of the Year Award went to Moira Zepp for Nonine. Honour Award for Fiction went to Sarah Crossan for Toffee. Honour Award for Illustration, Ashling Lindsay for The Tide. Eilish Dillon Award went to Kim Sharkey for More August Milk. And the Judges Special Award went to Meg Grayen for The Deepest Breath. But can I just talk about my favourite part of this whole situation was this new award that KPMG gave out for the Reading Hero. So the recipient of this award was Harry Darcy, who was from Gorey in County Wexford. And his best friend, Rossa, nominated him for this award and said Harry always has his head in a book no matter where he is on the bus on school trips in the car and even at his own birthday party and that's just like the most heartwarming thing I've ever read I think if people haven't had a chance to see the video you're completely right about Harry in front of his immense bookshelves and his best friend talking about how the teacher has to take books away from him at the beginning of the day and then give them back before he goes home lovely yeah absolutely right the big story this week though has been this one it's that when bookshops reopen it could possibly be a case of look with your eyes but not with your hands 
Yeah, when I read this in The Guardian, I was actually so excited to bring it to you because I want your opinion on it. UK Waterstones has said that it is going to put books into quarantine after they have been touched. So they intend to ask shoppers to put aside any book that they have touched on a special trolley, which will be wheeled away for 72 hours. So the chief executive of Waterstones, (laughs) this was gas, said that this is going to give the books time to self-heal. Like, they're going to be putting books into quarantine. Do you think that's ridiculous? I think to self-heal is a very Gwyneth Paltrow phrase as well. That was the first thing that immediately jumped out at me. Just out of interest, Stephanie, can you see yourself going into a bookshop to, to shop like that anytime soon? I do like to only read books that are in hard copy, but I am also in kind of a privileged position where I get books sent to me from publishers to read and review and then I can shop online. What will change is that I won't walk into a bookshop and pick up loads of books to judge them by their cover, which is actually how I shop normally. I know you're not meant to judge books by their cover, but what else are you meant to judge them on? I like to browse books. And actually, my favourite book that I've ever read ever, I came across by doing just that. I wandered into a bookshop and I picked up this book and I liked the cover of it. And it was by Jose Saramago. It was called The Elephant's Journey. And I read it and it was just incredible. And it set me on this journey, actually to reuse the word, of reading everything that he's written and I think he's phenomenal one of my favorite writers now and you know if this had been during COVID times I wouldn't have been able to just randomly pick up the book or maybe I would have but then it would have had to go into quarantine for 72 hours so I'm hoping that that doesn't become a thing to be honest yeah I'm not 100% sure I think and I hate the use of the phrase it's going to become part of a new normal that we're all going to have to get used to Uh, somebody who might be able to shed a little bit more light on that is Tomás Kenny from Kenny's Bookshop in Galway Tomás are you going to be putting books in quarantine when you reopen? Well it's it's hard to say we have half a million books here on site and it's one thing quarantining books as they come in but you know when, when somebody walks in and touches a book do you then wipe down said book before the next person walks in I think it's going to be very very difficult in practice to deal with any of uh, anything of that nature of quarantining books I think books and bookshops the, their focus is going to be far more around making sure that customers when they walk in have the appropriate protection and that they're okay and that the staff are okay both while they're in and while they're out in terms of hand sanitising, gloves, masks, etc. rather than the books themselves. I just don't think it'll be feasible. And what have you planned yourself? Do you, do you have your plan ready to go for, for day one? For reopening, we do. It's it's very difficult to say when that will be, though, because we, like an awful lot of other booksellers in the country, have entirely reorganised our shop to be online only. There's an awful lot of work going into just fixing that back into a into a retail space and not only into a retail space as it used to be but a retail space with the new reality of social distancing etc so we are going to i would su- suggest like an awful lot of bookshops going to reopen initially with a click and collect service or a come to the counter rather than maybe traditional browsing as it was I'm interested uh, mainly because I've been asking this question myself on social media over over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Have you and your fellow booksellers around the country, have you been having any conversations amongst yourselves about potentially what sort of shape this then all takes in the kind of short term? Yeah, we have. I mean, and and I think the reality is it's very different for for everybody. Uh, You know, our, our warehouse here is very, very big and we have the ability to to live with social distancing and and to and, and for our staff whereas some people obviously live in you know the, the bookshops are smaller 
I think the reality is everyone is facing unique challenges and nobody knows what it's going to look like. The the information we've been getting from customers who've been buying online, though, has been that they are looking far more towards community-based bookselling, retailing in general, but, but bookselling specifically. And I think that will happen when we when everything moves to be reopening, I think people will come to local bookshops again. They will be very conscious of the fact that it's been a difficult few months for, for everybody. And I think it may well herald, like I say, more community-based selling and, and buying. The crucial question, I think, for, for many of us, myself included, Tomas, is what happens to browsing? Yeah, well, browsing is, is an interesting one because browsing is obviously very difficult to do online. Um, and we've had a huge influx. Our phones have not stopped ringing uh, over the last couple of months because people are looking for recommendations because if they don't know exactly what they want, it's it's difficult to get to. So we're 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 trying to to resolve that in, in some ways through recommendation services and, and things like that. But I think ultimately nothing is going to replicate people being in a shop and seeing a book they didn't anticipate and whatever. And we're extremely anxious to get back to that as soon as we can. Tomas Kenny, it's been lovely talking to you. Thanks a million. Thanks, Rick. Stephanie Preisner, you're still with us. Uh, just maybe to finish, you had a bit of a blast of nostalgia this week, which now, you know, to a lot of us, seems like something from a completely different era. Yeah, my Google Photos reminded me that this time last year, my book launched and I was doing signings in Dubray Books on Grafton Street and in Easton's in Mallow. And it just made me kind of sad for the fact that if I were to launch my book this year, I wouldn't be able to have those signings or meet people face to face who enjoy my books and sign them for them and have my photo taken like right up close to other people who are strangers. And, you know, I always talk about how I'm an introvert and I don't like meeting other people, but I would certainly be sad if I had to launch my book remotely and not get to meet the people who read your words. I think it's a really intimate thing. I think it's strange. I think it's something we're all going to have to keep our fingers crossed about in terms of how this is all going to develop over the next while. But Stephanie Preisner, thanks a million as usual. Thanks, Rick. See you soon. Now, one writer who can definitely relate to what Stephanie was just saying and who's felt that all too clearly is Frances Macken, whose debut novel, You Have to Make Your Own Fun Around Here, was published just as lockdown started. Frances, it must have seemed like a huge anticlimax. Yeah, I have to be honest, it was a dreadful anticlimax and probably the one one of the deepest disappointments I've ever felt in my life uh, to be dramatic about it, but also be, to be completely completely honest and you know only a week prior I was swanning around Harvey Nicks out in Dundrum looking at all the designer gear and choosing an outfit for my upcoming launch and I was so excited to celebrate with family and friends and get together in in Dubray Books on April the 8th and crack open the champagne and I think there's something about a launch as well it's kind of a ceremonial thing it's like a ritual writing a book is such a slog it's such a marathon and when you get to the end of that journey all you want to do is just you know, let your hair down, have some fun. And to see it on a shelf in a bookshop as well, it's it's something that all debut authors would dream of or any unpublished author. It's, you know, they always think about the day when they'll see their physical book. You know, at this point, I still haven't had that experience. And it's very sad. And I have been feeling sorry for myself, but it's really, really important to to be philosophical about the whole thing. And um I've just been thinking about my next project and my next book. I think that's the healthier way to think about it. And 
I don't know if the book launch will ever happen at any point in the future. It just it remains to be seen. But I'm just really, really hoping that my amazing dress from from Harvey Nicks uh, gets an outing <laughs> at some point. It really is a very nice dress, I have to say. All, all I'm thinking about is I remember swanning around the Dundrum Town Centre just buying oh, things. I, that, I remember I when that was a thing and going to meet your friends and having a couple of drinks for no reason whatsoever. I suppose the, the other part of this is, you know, what about swanning around a bookshop itself? I mean, book buying, it's a very tactile experience. It's a lovely experience. And I, I think it's an experience that lots of people really, really treasure. And I think what we have to do is think of a way to optimise our book shopping experience. Go in with your list. But also, I think it's really important to consider picking up something new Give something new a chance. Um, maybe maybe you'll pick up my book. You have to make your own fun around here. Well, um, well, I was going to ask you about that, and this seems the, the perfect moment for those people who may be close to bookshelves at some sort of future date, even if not necessarily picking things up at the time, and they do see a copy of You Have to Make Your Own Fun Around Here, and you're the little voice whispering in their ear. What can you tell them about the book? Right. So I think it's a great book. It's really, really funny. Um, So the central narrative is around these two very precocious girls, Katie and Evelyn. They live in the west of Ireland and they have these mad, grandiose dreams of becoming filmmakers and artists. But an all-consuming rivalry overshadows their friendship. Then in addition to that, they live in a very peculiar town, fictional town called Glenbrough that has a supernatural undercurrent to it and some very peculiar characters knocking around it's a coming of age but it's certainly not a formulaic coming of age it's quite different and it's written with a kind of a west of ireland vernacular that is a compelling whisper Uh, you have to make your own fun around here is published by one world is out now and francis mackin thanks a million thank you so much rick all the best Normally at this time we'd be talking to a book club and an author, but as it's our final outing before the summer, we thought we'd ask each of the clubs that we've had on recently to give us one of their book recommendations that they would eagerly place in your hands from a safe distance and encourage you to read. And here they are. Hello again, Miriam Fitzmaurice here from Roundwood Book Club. When we were asked for a suggestion for our best book ever, and one that we could recommend for a summer read, many titles came up. My own personal favourite from over the years is A Prayer for Own Meany by John Irving, so I'm going to go with that. Nothing like a bit of democracy. Own's story is set against the backdrop of America in the 1950s and 60s. He and his friend John Wheelwright growing up together in a small New Hampshire town. However, it is much more than a story of two little boys. Religious faith and doubt of the existence of God play a major part in this novel. The story is told in flashbacks to the 50s and 60s by John, and I feel that this book is probably the most extraordinary and memorable book I've ever read. It is heartbreaking, emotional, heartwarming and thought-provoking, and I heartily recommend it. Enjoy. I'm Margaret McCann from the Wise Owl Book Club in Navan, and our book is John Williams' Stoner. It's the story of a Missouri farmer's son who by chance goes on to become a teacher of literature in university, It's the story of his life and of university life set in the first half of the 20th century. Stoner is a plain man, a kind man, and his life knows quiet achievement and bitter disappointment and roads not taken. And the book is written with kindness and poise. When it was republished in 2002, no less a man than John McGahern was asked to write its introduction. 
He described it as an unadulterated joy, and we agree with him. I have to say, what a coincidence. Our group was also enthralled with Stoner. We still talk about it fondly. This is Doreena Malloy, joining you from Castlebar Library Book Club. We also loved another book by John Williams called Butcher's Crossing, which I can heartily recommend. We've had a lot of memorable reads through the years, and one that always stands out is Cutting for Stone by Abraham Verghese, even though it's been 10 years since we met to discuss it. It's got conjoined twins and follows a family through three generations and across three continents. It's also got a strong medical slant running through it, which isn't really surprising since the author is an American physician. Honestly, we can't recommend it highly enough. Go find it. We have a display area in Castlebar Library, which features books the book club have read through the years, and this one always disappears quickly. Oliver Murphy here from Dorky Book Club. One of the books we really liked was Older Brother by Mahir Gouven. It's about two brothers who are originally from Syria, but whose father now works as a taxi driver in Paris and their mother is from Brittany. Uh, the younger brother is the sort of do-gooder of the family. He's a nurse. But the older brother, whose voice dominates this sparkling book, he's the bad boy of the family. He does drugs, he delivers drugs, he informs police, he has plenty of sex and he is somewhat irreverent. But he doesn't feel at home in the Western world. And the difference between the two brothers and the different paths they take gives rise to a very interesting novel, certainly deserving of the pre-Goncourt for the best debut novel. Hi, Paula Paul here from Tremor Library Tuesday Thursday Book Club with our recommended book. It's a classic novel from 1938 called Miss Pettigrew Lives for a Day and was written by Winifred Watson. This is a little gem of a book that's quirky, light-hearted and fun and also has quite humorous drawings throughout. It tells the story of Miss Pettigrew, who is a middle-aged governess accustomed to a house full of unruly children who unfortunately loses her job. When her employment agency sends her to the wrong address, her life takes an unexpected turn when nightclub singer Delicia Lafoz becomes her new employer. Over the course of a single day, both women are changed forever. We hope you enjoy it. We thoroughly did. Thanks to everybody who helped us put that together very quickly. Those books were once again Stoner by John Williams, Cutting for Stone by Abraham Verghese, A Prayer for Owen Meany by John Irving, Miss Pettigrew Lives for a Day by Winifred Watson and Older Brother by Mahir Gouven. If your book club wants to take part in a future programme, we're open for applications now. Send us all of your details to bookshow at rte.ie. And that's it for this edition of The Book Show on RTE Radio 1. The podcast is available wherever you find yours. You can get us on Twitter and Instagram at BookshowRTE. And I'll talk to you again in the autumn. As ever, don't forget to check with your local bookshop for any of the books featured on the programme.